0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. And today more than ever, I would say if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and let one of the ushers bring one to you. because we're gonna to try to cover a lot of ground today as we study a couple of chapters hopefully in the book of first Samuel so if you need a Bible uh, raise your hand otherwise you're gonna be bored probably man <laughs> you need to follow along and also you need to make sure that I'm not teaching you guys false doctrine but as we come to this section of first Samuel we've been kind of learning uh, some things over and over again you know when you look at the life of Saul you are, have an example of how not to do it. Uh, the other day we were over at Golden Springs. Pastor Raw was doing a study with the staff and some of the leaders. And, and he was just talking about how, how uh, Saul was anointed by God. How Saul started off so well. How Saul, in one sense, maybe even started off humble, man. He was gifted. He was head and shoulders above the rest. But just because you start well doesn't mean you're going to finish well. If you want to see an example of an individual who God gave so much potential to and yet he miserably failed, then you study the life of Saul. On the flip side, we have this guy that is contrasted to him. The the guy's name is David. And this guy had a humble beginning. There he was. I think God prepared him in the shepherd's field. God prepared him in the battlefield as a soldier. But then God also prepared him as a fugitive as he was running uh, God would be preparing him to be the leader that God, you know, made him to be. And I don't know where you guys are tonight. You know, a lot of you here, you know, you have a strong walk with the Lord. Some of you here, you might not even have a relationship with God. Uh, some of us here, were, we're kind of in between. But I do know this, that there's still hope for you. That no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, there, God brought you here tonight. Because he wants to work in your life. He loves you so much. And he wants us to learn, you know, this is not what you do. And this is what you do. And he wants to tell you, man, that he loves you. And that, I'm telling you what, you know what, we can't change the past. You know, don't, don't let the enemy beat you up about what's back there. And I, I do pray, though, that, that right here, right now, that we would learn from the past because you know one scripture the lord laid on my heart while we were worshiping is in the book of galatians chapter 6 where it says don't do not be deceived god is not mocked that whatever a man sows that he will also reap if you sow to the flesh you're going to reap of the flesh but if you sow to the spirit of the spirit you will reap those things that are spiritual the things that are not corrupted and i'm telling you that's the way that life works some people they walk in the spirit and it's beautiful So many people, yet even in the church, they walk in the flesh. They walk in the flesh. And I'm telling you, man, in the end, you're going to be sorry. And so I think Saul is a picture of a guy who walked in the flesh. And yet David, we're going to see, even though he wasn't a perfect man, what God can do, you guys, when we really begin to follow him. We see David on the run as a fugitive. And we're going to see lessons in preparation, protection, direction, and even conviction. Booker T. Washington said, I have learned that success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as much as by the obstacles which one has overcome in life. And, and David was such a man. You know, men, measured by this standard, we're going to see that David He went through a lot of obstacles, a lot of obstacles, and yet watch what God does in his life. Look at verse 1 of 1 Samuel 23. It says, and then they told David, saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? And then David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, and go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men, they went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. Now somehow David gets word that the Philistines were attacking the people of Keilah. Uh, They were stealing their grain at the threshing floor. We don't know how he found out. You know, we're going to see a lot of that in today's chapter. I don't know if they text messaged him or what. I don't know, they phone call. Somehow the word gets out. No, no, seriously, in those days they had runners. They had spies and they were all over the place, right? And so anyways, we see right here that these guys, the Philistines, were fighting against Keilah. And they notice in verse 1, they're robbing the threshing floors. Now, what that means is that the inhabitants of Judah there in Keilah, Think about this. They had planted the seed. They had cultivated the seed. They had watered it. They waited months, man. And then finally, when it's harvest time, they go and they get the wheat and they take it into the threshing floors. And now they're at the last stage. They're separating the wheat from the chaff so they could take it home and have the grain that they need to live on. And it was at that final stage, after all the work they had done, where the Philistines came in and they were ripping it off. You know, and that right there is such a tragic place to see the enemy come in. And so David finds out. He knows it's not right. And yet at the same time, it's so cool, you guys, what he does is that rather than just running to the battle, I want to take care of this, I want to get this in my own hands. No, what does he do? He asks the Lord, Lord, would you have me to go down there and to get involved with this? Lord, you know, what do you say? He inquires of the Lord. The Hebrew word right here simply means to ask or consult or to seek. And and man, you know, whatever it is in life, I pray that you and I would know how to do that, how to ask, how to consult, how to seek, how important it is that we ask the Almighty over everything. We consult Christ and seek our Savior's will. You know, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not... To your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Warren Wiersbe said, "A gifted leader like David might have been tempted to depend on his experience. Instead, what he did is he turned to the Lord for the guidance that he needed." And I'll tell you what, man, a lot of times people think, "Well, I've been there, I've done that. This is the way it worked last time," and they have, you know, their whole experience, you know, thing. But it doesn't always work that way. You know, that's not life, you guys. Life should not be, well, this is the way I've experienced it. No, life must be where we follow the Lord. Where we pray to Him about everything. Even things that we think are no-brainers. Well, I should get involved with this. Why well, are you sure? Are you sure? No, you've got to ask the Lord about everything. And so David tells his guys, hey, we're going to go fight, right? And the guys are like, no way, time out. I don't think so. You know, it's hard enough right here. You want us to go toe-to-toe with the Philistines? And you know what's kind of cool is David right here in verse 4, he inquires of the Lord. It says, once again. And you know what that is right there? You know, that's what I would call healthy leadership. You know, David's men initially wanted to do nothing. They didn't want any part of the war, and they expressed their concern to David. And so David goes to the Lord, and he kind of asks for confirmation. And, you know, what we see here is a healthy leadership. You know, when the ones that he's leading are doubting him, you know, he doesn't just say, hey, I'm the boss. You know, sometimes we dads like to do that, huh? Or we husbands like to do that. What are you talking about, woman? You know, I'm the, I'm the head, you know? And God says, you know what, you might be the head, but let me tell you something. She's a lot smarter than you are, you know. (laughs) And sometimes our wives are more spiritually sensitive than we are sometimes. Or maybe even those that we're leading. Sometimes even our kids, man. You know, and I'm learning now that my kids are older. (laughs) Well, my daughter's not even a kid anymore. She's 18. But still, she's in in the house. And I'm learning more and more to listen to them. You don't just say, "Hey, my way or the highway." That's not what good leaders do. you know, if your wife disagrees with you on a decision that you're making as a husband, what you need to do is you need to go back to the Lord and double check. Lord, you know, the wife that the one that you gave me as this, you know, as my as my compa in life, um, she doesn't see it this way. So, Lord, is this really the way? That's what he does. He just double checks with the Lord, and and the Lord says, "Yes, that that's the way." that I want you to go. And he promises to deliver the Philistines into their hand. And so at that point, he has the confirmation he needs. And David and his men, it's so cool, they then follow him because they know he's trying to follow the Lord. They go and they fight the Philistines. And it says in verse 5 that they strike them with a mighty blow. Look what it even says there in verse 5. David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. And and I'm telling you this right here, you guys, if you can see this, I don't know if you can see this or not, but I pray you can see this. What a difference it made to the lives of the people of Keilah when there was a man who was willing to follow the Lord. You know, and I don't know what it's going to take to move us to that place of obedience. Of course, it must begin with a heart to do God's will. But don't you see what a difference it makes in their lives when we do God's will? I mean, there they are, the Philistines. They're taking their, their grain at the threshing floor after all their hard work. They're just breaking their hearts and they're, and they're crippling their family. And one man, one man, even his soldiers didn't want to go with him. One man made a difference. You know, and a lot of times I think we have a mentality, well, I can't do anything. I'm, you know, just one man or I'm just one woman. But I'm telling you that you can. You know, David It says, the Lord used him to save them. How will God use your life? how we need to be sensitive to his Holy Spirit. You know, David right here, it's so cool to see the way that things work out and he has his heart to follow the Lord. Lord, should I get involved? He sees the injustice and God says, yes, I want you to get involved. He confirms it and God does such a great work. We read in verse six right here that it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, They went down with an ephod in his hand. And so we kind of see some, you know, details there as to how David was able to inquire of the Lord. Because here now he has a priest of the Lord and he was able to be a mediator between God and men. You know, somehow this ephod was part of, you know, the, the Lord's way of confirming his will to them. And uh, the ephod, we know, was just something they wore. They had their shoulder pads. They had these, you know, jewels and things like that, all symbolizing the nation of Israel over God's heart, symbolizing the nation of Israel on the shoulders. God's carrying his people. We don't need an ephod. We don't need a priest anymore. This is what we have right here, huh? It's the Bible. This is how we know the will of God. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what they say. This is how we know the word of God. We know the will of God. In one sense, this is our ephod. Not only that, we got to be in right relationship with the Lord. And that's why some people, when they read the Bible, and they hear a Bible study, they're like, you know what, it didn't really interest me. Why? Because you're not in right relationship with God. See, when you're in right relationship with God, Man, you study the Bible and God speaks to you. But when there's sin in your life, when there's sin, unrepentant sin, God can't speak to you because sin separates us from God, right? You know, that's what the contrast we're going to see again. And we see this when we go through 1 Samuel between Saul and David. Saul, man, we're going to see that's the way he ended up. He could not hear the voice of God. Remember in 1 Samuel fourteen thirty-seven, it says, Saul asked counsel of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? We deliver them into the hand of Israel. But he did not answer him that day. God didn't answer. In 1 Samuel 28, 5-7, it says, When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul was inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. I don't know, how, how are you guys doing? And we have to just, you know, check our hearts. How are we doing in this? Do you have a relationship with God or not? Is he speaking to you? Because when your heart's right, man, the Lord does. When your heart's not right, then, then he won't. As a matter of fact, this was Saul's downfall because the Lord wasn't speaking to him, so he hired a medium. You know, that's like down the street right here, a fortune teller. I remember before I was saved... I, I wanted to go to a fortune teller. I even told my wife, well, she was my wife then, my girlfriend. I said, oh, I'm going to go to a palm reader. You know, and you know, we think it's, it's no big deal, right? Oh, you know, palm reader, yeah, get your fortune told. You know what that is? That is straight out from the pit of hell. That is full on demonic. Don't, know, go, don't go near any of those things. I have counsel with people who have gone to those fortune tellers or Santaria, whatever these things are, man. I'm telling you this. They are tormented by demons. You know, Saul came to that point where God wasn't speaking to him. He got desperate. He went to a fortune teller, right? A medium. And he even called up Samuel and he said, man, the problem is God won't speak to me. And you know, Samuel basically said, it's not God's problem, it's your problem. Psalm 66, verse 18. It says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, The Lord will not hear. And so here we have this amazing relationship that David has with the Lord and that he's able to talk to him and inquire and God is able to lead him and guide him in life. How important it is to pray and obey, right? And so we read in verse 7, it says, And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah, And so Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand. Notice what Saul is saying. He thinks God's on his side, but he's not. For he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And then Saul called all the people together for war, to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. He was going to surround them, right? When David knew that Saul plotted out evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. And then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver you. So David and his men, about six hundred, they arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah. So he halted the expedition. Again, you know, they, all, they know what's going on. I don't think they had satellite things then, but maybe they did. I don't know. They knew enough, Right. Saul finds out that David's in a walled city now, right? And so he figures, oh, this is a great opportunity. God's put him there, and I can surround him, besiege the city, trap him, starve him. And it doesn't even matter if the people of the city die in the process. You know, I'm going to get this guy David, right? And so David finds out about Saul's plan, and again, he asks the Lord. It's so cool. He asked the Lord for wisdom. He asked the Lord for insights. He asked the Lord for secrets that could not otherwise be revealed. And that's the type of relationship we can have with God. And he says, will Saul come? Will the men of Keilah deliver me? And the Lord said, yes, they're going to turn you over, man. And so David and his 600 men, they leave to go, it says, wherever they can. And Saul finds out and he stops the expedition. And again, you guys, this simple message, I think, is just to see how cool it is that David is seeking the Lord. And here it is. Like I said, it's not too late. I don't think it's too late. I don't think anybody here has crossed the line yet. You know, that line, there's a line somewhere. I don't know where it is, but there's that that line. It's the unpardonable sin. I think there's still hope for us, you know, and that's why you're here. And so, you know, David says, man, Lord, I want... You know, to find out what's going on, and the Lord right here, what is he doing? He's protecting David, and he's directing David, right? And what we find is David is doing his part, and God is doing his part. And that's the way it is, and I've learned this in life, that you come to church service, and I'm telling you this, you pray for God to touch you. You know, you pray for God to touch you. If you stay out of fellowship, if you don't come into the Bible studies and things like that, you know, if you don't come and humble yourself and acknowledge that you need the power, you need fellowship, you need to be where you belong, then your God won't touch you. And I've learned that, that you've got to come and ask God to touch you, but you've also got to come and ask God to teach you. And he teaches you his word. And he teaches you things like we're studying today that you've got to pray. And you've got to obey and you've got to believe that God will give you, you know, the insight. You know, I think that a lot of our problem is, you guys, a lot of people, they just don't really surrender to want to be led by the Lord. You know, I think that we might even go through the motions of saying, Lord, what do you want to do? or What do you want me to do? But we don't really mean it. What if God was to radically change, you know, your plans? Are we open to that? See, that's where we need to be. You know, we need to come to our general and ask him for marching orders. You know, I believe that God wants to do an operation on our heart because our hearts are, we've had so much montheca growing up, it is just crazy, man, (laughs) They are clogged. It's not beating. We are so out of shape spiritually, man. Our hearts are all messed up. God wants to do an operation and let him do an operation, but there must be an aggressive cooperation where we're totally yielding to the Lord and we're doing the best that we can. You know, I've learned, you know, not to talk as much at home because sometimes when I'm talking too much, some of you guys right here, gals, you know what I'm talking about? You get in trouble, and you just do your part, and it's so cool to see the way that God does his part. You know, one other thing that's pretty interesting here is um, the, David asks the, the Lord, will they, will they deliver me into Saul's hands? And the Lord says, yeah, they will. Now question, did they? They didn't. But the Lord, the Lord knew they would have. You see, that's the omniscience of God. He knows all the different variables and possibilities. And that's why it's so important. Because he knows, no, you shouldn't get involved with her. No, you shouldn't be doing that. Or no, you know, and even though that looks so good, my counsel is wait, or whatever it might be, he knows all the variables, and that's why it's so important to follow him. And so we read in verse 14, it says, And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him. Check this out. How often? Every day. But God did not deliver him into his hand. And so David saw that Saul had gone out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. You know, right now we went to go uh, visit a a gal who, um, you know, I don't know if she was possessed by a demon. I don't really know the whole scenario, but, you know, definitely it was a blessing to go and to pray with her. And she received Christ, you know. But on the way down there, we saw uh, a lady sleeping under the bridge. And, you know, you see these people, these homeless people sleeping under the bridges or whatever it is, you know. And it breaks your heart. And, and in one sense, you guys, this is where David was. He's living out in the wilderness. This is king, the, the future king, David, homeless, going through hard times. You know, and there he is, and he's probably thinking, but Lord, wait a minute, time out. I remember the day that Samuel anointed me as a king. He said one day that I would have purpose in life. One day you would use my life for the good of this country. And here I am. I don't even have a place to rest my head. I'm a homeless man. And so, Lord, why? But you got to know that those hard times that you're going through, I promise you, if you stay focused on Jesus Christ, they will be part of the preparation. You know, God will use you then. It's amazing the way God has his stop go ability. He's able to use you there and then, right in the middle of what you're doing. But He's also preparing you for whatever it is that's, that's next. You know, I look at this country that we, are, we love so much, you know, and I see the way that it's just, it's just decaying from every angle from you know the bottom up, from the top down. I see the trouble that our nation is in. And I know this, that the answer to our nation is we need men and women to rise up with conviction, with salvation, with a relationship with God, and maybe that's going to be you. But I'm telling you this, man, that if we do that, we will make a difference. And, and, I, and, I, and I don't know if you're going to be you know, a David, but, but maybe you will. Maybe God will raise you up to such an extent that you will be a David that impacted the whole country because of his personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know. And it doesn't have to be, President. Maybe it will be some other ministry or something, some type of way where God will use you to rock this world. And it's not that we seek great things. It's not that. It's just that we seek for God to do great things. And we believe that God is able to do great things through lives of people who still believe in him and who are sold out and surrendered like David was. And I don't think he was thinking on the big level, but I do know this, that he was all caught up in his personal relationship with the Lord. And so he's just asking the Lord for wisdom in all these different areas. And he goes, and next thing you know, he finds himself in the wilderness of Ziph. And this is crazy. It says right there in verse 14 that Saul sought him every day. And this is one thing I learned, and I was talking with the brothers about this earlier, man. Every day. And Jesus said, if a man wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How frequently? Every day, daily. You can't take a day off. What will happen on that day? Will that be the day that you fall into adultery? Will that be the day where you begin to drink again, and you begin to smoke again, you begin to do drugs again? You say something to your wife or to your kids that you regret for the rest of your life that stays in their heart for the rest of their lives? Oh, we can't take a day off. The devil will come after us every day. And that's why we have to wake up every day. I I know I do. I got to wake up every day and spend time with the Lord. I had to wake up every day and get on my knees and get on my face and open up the Bible and ask God to speak to me, ask God to lead me. Because I know this, that the devil is after us every day. But what a blessing to know that David really was in God's hands. Because it says right there that God did not deliver him into his hand. See, we do our part. God will protect you. Only God can protect you. You're no match for the devil. You're no match, we're no match for the lies of the devil. We need God, right? Here we see Saul was not, you know, just not able to find David. He wasn't. Even though everyone else was able to, it's kind of funny. We're going to see that. And it's a beautiful picture of God's protection over our lives. Because look at verse 16, it says, And then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. It's kind of funny, Saul can't find him, <laughs> but everybody else can. You think that has anything to do with God? Definitely, huh? And so Jonathan goes and, and he's able to find Saul. Jonathan is Saul's son, and, uh, and as far as we know, this is their last time together on this side of time, even though Jonathan right here expresses the fact that he believed that they were going to serve together. Now, I don't want to, you know, be Chuck Miss or anything, you know, but I I I'll be honest with you, man. I wonder if Jonathan should have stayed with David. I mean, why why was why didn't he stay with David? I mean, he knew he knew that he was a future king and he knew that his father was off. And some might say, well, it was uh, a certain element of loyalty, and perhaps it's correct. But just as you know, a, a side note, I wonder if Jonathan and Saul both had submitted to God's plan, if they would have been, you know, alive. <laughs> if they would have stayed alive, I, I don't know. We're going to see. We're going to talk about this a little bit as we go through right here. But this would be the last time they would see each other, and I I, I think it's cool the way it says there in verse sixteen. That he went to David in the woods, and notice he strengthened his hand in God. When I was growing up, I had my uncle. He was in construction, and he had big old forearms. Big old forearms. You have some some of those guys like that. Big old forearms. And he would always tell me dynamic tension, dynamic tension. And he would go like this, and he would go like this, and just big old. And he had strong hands. You know, and it's cool to have that physically. Some of you guys do. But I tell you what, it's way cooler to have that spiritually. Strong hands, strong hands in the Lord. And Jonathan goes and he visits, uh, you know, David, and he strengthens his hands. That's what it literally means. And it's so cool to see the way this brother, this friend, he comes to David, and he strengthens his hands. We need strong hands, you guys, as Christians. You know, when we read the Bible, it seems that weak hands are symbolic of hands and hearts that are afraid. They have weak hands. And therefore, unable and unwilling to work for God or even, you know, walk with God. Unable to hold the sword of the Spirit. We need strong hands. Zephaniah 3.16 says, In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear. Zion, let not your hands... Be weak. When you're afraid, you've got weak hands. Second Chronicles fifteen seven, prophet speaking to Asa, he said, But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. You see, when we have weak hands, we are afraid. When we have weak hands, we do not work for God. And that's how you can know where you are. But God can use us, and it's so cool when we get together, brothers and sisters, to strengthen one another's spiritual hands Job was used by God to do this at one time it says right there in Job chapter 4 verse 3 surely you have instructed many he instructed many and you have strengthened weak hands when you teach the word it's so cool you can do that and we even read in Isaiah 35 verse 3 strengthen the weak hands and make the firm with feeble knees and so we read in verse 19, it says, Then the Ziphites, they came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in strongholds in the woods, in the hill of Hachilah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Oh blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there, for I am told he is very crafty. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you. And it shall be if he is in the land that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. And so when Saul hears about David, He expresses his gratitude to these individuals and turned them in, so to speak. And he comes up with a plan to make sure they, you know, get David, find out exactly where he's at. For I've heard that David's a sly one, he says. Spy out the land and find all the hiding places. Then come back to me with certainty. And then we'll go and we'll hunt him down. And so we read in verse 24, So they arose and they went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in plain on the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, therefore, he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain. Look how close they are. And David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And so David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his arm, his men were encircling David and his men to take them. I mean, they were that close, you guys. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines, so they called that place the Rock of Escape. And then David went up from there and dwelt in strongholds. At En Gedi. And, and what we're seeing here, you know, is, is this, you know, in this moment, God's protection over his life, God's sovereignty, even using the uh, unsaved Philistines for God's national and even his personal purposes. You know, God has his hand on you guys. He's protecting you. I don't know if you've ever, like, come to those close calls. Have you ever almost died in a car accident? You ever been there? Many times I remember when I used to work at Vons, and I'd work like 3 in the morning till about 12 in the afternoon, and I didn't sleep, and so after work I'd fall asleep on the way home, and uh, I'd be on the freeway. Oh, thank you, Lord. (laughs) You know, Uh, there's an angel kind of like, Wake up, wake up, you know. I mean, how many times? How many times? And, you know, and here's the thing. Okay, you can go through experience after experience after experience like that. And, and you, could just, you could just chalk it up as, you know what? That's ah, no big deal. And yet, God has shown you that he saved your life. God has shown you, I have saved your life. For what? For what? No, oh, watch, watch basketball. Football, Right? The Lakers, man, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, but man, a lot of guys, they're they, they more excited about that three-pointer than they are about the Lord and the works that the Lord's doing. You know, why did God save your life? And all I'm saying is this, it's so cool when you realize that. You know, I know even my own life, I, I know God saved my life. You know, I was talking to Adrian the other day, and, and his son has, uh, has cancer, and uh, leukemia and so they just got done with all the chemotherapy and his son uh... he i think he's only like seventeen eighteen years old he lost all his hair and he, you know he's getting better now but then they still have to find a uh... A, a, a donor you know for the bone marrow transplant and so uh... i was just talking to him yesterday and he said you know what and again we don't know for sure he said but i said hey do you have a match you know so they can donate the bone marrow that's necessary and he said you know I, I, they say that the the best chances we have are, are with, with, our, with his siblings, his, his sisters. And he said this. This is an interesting. I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this with you guys. But he said, because uh, it's for God's glory, he just said, you know, my wife had an operation. We weren't supposed to have any more kids. But well, what happened is God you know, God made her pregnant anyways. And, uh, and now, boom, and now comes this other little girl named Sarah. And he said, I'll bet you almost anything she's the match. I'll bet you almost anything that, 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 that God you know, spared life, God gave life for a great reason. And here's God, he's sparing David's life for a great reason. Here's God sparing your life for a great reason. I mean, hey, let's face it, you guys, some of us are older now. You know, I have had uncles, man, they had heart attacks at my age. Every day I thank God for life. But every day got to make sure I live my life for the Lord. David right here, that close. God says, no, I have a great work for you. Okay, Lord, whatever life you give to me, whatever day I have, week, months nobody knows how long. Lord, I'll tell you what, it's all for you, right? And so we see here this amazing story in verse 1 of chapter 24. It says, now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. And so he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend his needs. He had to go to the restroom, okay? And David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. And then the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him, because he had cut off Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. Once again, Saul finds out where David is in in one sense. Oh, there he is in the wilderness of En Gedi, And so he goes off, but this time he doesn't take the whole army, he's learning now. You know what, I'm just going to take 3,000 chosen men. These are the the biggest, baddest, buffest dudes. And they pursue David to the rock of the wild goats. And so as it happens, Saul has to go to the restroom, he has to relieve himself. And we know according to the Bible that you couldn't just go to the restroom anywhere, right? You had to go outside the camp, take a shovel, dig a hole, you know the whole story, right? And so anyways, uh, talk about going to the, to the men's room, okay? Uh, he went there, and happens to be, it just happens to be the same cave that David and his men are hiding in. And so all of David's men, they tell him, man, this is the Lord, bro. This is the Lord. God has delivered your enemy into your hand. He's absolutely vulnerable. He's helpless. He's wicked. There he is, David. Take him out. Kill him. You know, and, and if you put yourself in that situation, what would you have done? You know, someone wants to kill you. Wouldn't you just, most of us here, most of us here would have killed him. But see, that's where we have to change our hearts. That's where we have to learn from David. That's where we have to learn from Jesus. David does something so interesting. He just goes... And he cuts off a corner of Saul's robe. Obviously, he's not wearing it at the time. And even in doing that, he's convicted, it says in verse 5. But then he goes to his guys, and he says there in verse 6, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch up my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. You see, and we learn from this. David knew all about the fact that God had anointed King Saul. And David had this deep conviction that God would be the one to bring him down one day. And he wanted no part of that. David's men would have killed Saul in a moment, but their wise captain restrained them. You see, leaders must know how to interpret events and respond in the right way. And I'm telling you this right now, you guys, God will test you. God will test you in situations like this. And I remember when my boss told me, and I wasn't even, you know, he wasn't even saved. As a matter of fact, this guy was really unsaved. (laughs) He was really bad. He was really one of those bosses that, you know, you just lazy and, you know, you just wanted him to go to another store. I mean, you just didn't want him in your life. But, you know, he told me something that's always stuck with me. He said, you only go as far as you fail. And I thought about that, and I, and I still think about that. Because if David would have failed right here, he would have gone no farther. See, we will be tested. What kind of man are you really? You know, because a lot of times I think when we go to situations like this, we take matters into our own hands. And David had so much faith in God so much faith in God that even though he knew he was going to be the next king, he knew that God would be the one that would take care of it. Now we'll see later in chapter 26 that David pretty much does the same thing in verses 9 through 11. It was so deeply embedded in David's heart that later when an Amalekite king, Amalekite uh, came to David with Saul's crown after having killed Saul and what he thought was an act of mercy, kind of like ancient euthanasia, right? You guys remember the story? When Saul died, he, uh, he, he had fallen on a spear, right? And uh, he's like there, but he didn't die. And so there's an Amalekite, and Saul says to him, kill me, kill me. Listen, these guys, you know, they do something crazy to me. So apparently the Amalekite killed him. And so the Amalekite took his crown, and he went to David, and he said, man, I just want to let you know you're a king now. And David said, like, how do you know that? And he said, well, because this is a story, man. Saul was there, he's ready to die, and I gave him euthanasia mercy killing, right? And here's the crown. And David said, out of your own mouth you're going to die because you touched the Lord's anointed. And he killed him. Even after all this, David understood the way it works in the kingdom of God. But a lot of people, they, they don't. And that's why you only go as far as you fail. You have to admire David's heart of loyalty to God's appointed leaders and his faith and time of testing. For so many would undoubtedly have taken matters into their own hands, justifying it, thoroughly convinced that they need to help God out on this. You guys remember the Lion King? You remember Scar, what he did to Mufasa? There it is. You can see it now, huh? (laughs) A lot of people do that, man. But I'm telling you this right now. It only lasts for a while. And your people and your followers will be so anemic because you are not called of the Lord. And one day, Simba will come. Right? God's going to take care of it, man. And so we read in verse 8, it says, David also arose afterward, and he went out of the cave, and he called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king... And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. And I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord be judged between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. This is kind of of dangerous, but David is following the Lord and he goes out and he says, My Lord, the king, he bows down with his face to the earth. He attempts to reason with him. Why are you listening to the lies? And that's a really good question. So many people find themselves in places that they do not belong in because they're simply listening to the lies of the enemy. That's where Saul was. So Dave calls him the Lord's anointed. He even calls him his father, and he shows him the corner of the robe as proof of his own purity. That in all this there was no rebellion in his hand. nor there was there sin in his heart. And yet here he is. He says, Saul, you're hunting me down. You want to take me down. You want to keep me down. We see here in verses 12 through 15 that David expresses his true trust in the Lord and his confidence in the fact that the Lord really does bless obedience and integrity. You know, David knew the Lord would handle it, and he didn't have to get his hands in it. And, now, and I want to encourage you guys, man. Believe in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Psalm 75 says, Exaltation, it doesn't come from the east or the west or the south. Exaltation comes from the north. It comes from God, and He raises up. He raises up. And I'll tell you this, and I've really believed this in my life, just in case you know, you're trying to, if you ever get in that place where you try to exalt yourself, I'm telling you this, man, you don't need to do that. Just stay focused on your relationship with God. And I tell you this, man, no one can stop what God will do. Nobody except you. Right? David says, you know what, I have full confidence in the Lord. I know he's going to do his thing, man. And he's not afraid to call Saul a wicked man. He says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, right? Even foolishness to the point where... Here he was. And what should Saul have been doing? Saul should have been running the country. Not running after David. And I'm telling you, you know, in our own lives, you know, the, the, the heavy, heavy, heavy responsibilities that we have in life. Think about that. There you are as a husband. There you are as a father. There you are as a ministry overseer. Whatever the case may be, wherever you are, whatever you're part of the body of Christ is, and you should be doing these great things for God. And there you are, chasing a dead dog. Imagine yourself, you know, if you would, if you spent your life, and I know this sounds funny, but chasing a flea. Okay, if you can visualize that. You know, what? there it is. I saw it hop over there. And and you're running after it, and you're you're spending your whole life chasing a flea. David, not that David, I mean, I think he's being humble about who he is, but he's just saying, Saul, you're the king. Wake up. You have a responsibility to run a country. Not run after me. David right here makes a lot of points, and he tries to reason with Saul. Right there in verse 15, he says, Therefore let the, judge, the Lord be judge, and judge between you and me, and see and plead my case, and deliver me out of your hand. He, he calls the Lord, if you have a new living translation, he calls him his advocate. The Lord is the judge, the Lord is the lawyer. It's so cool. David knows these things way before 1 John chapter 2 was written. That God, you guys, and I, and I just pray that you believe that God is your advocate, that God is your judge, that God will plead your case, that God himself will rescue you, that God will deliver you. You just got to make sure that you're focused on the Lord. Worse be, he says, right? You get your eyes on the world, you're going to be distressed. How many people are freaking out? How many people are freaking out? Because their eyes are on the world. Or you get your eyes on yourself, and you're going to be depressed. How many people are depressed? Many of us are, right? But you get your eyes on the Lord, and what? And you'll be blessed. It's as simple as that. You get your eyes on the Lord and you'll walk on water. You get your eyes on the Lord and you'll do the things that God's called you to do. And so we read in verse uh, 16, So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from among my father's house. And so David swore to Saul and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. I mentioned earlier that that Saul was like walking in the flesh and David was walking in the spirit. But one of the things you find about Saul is every once in a great while he would kind of walk in the spirit. And because there's a battle going on in our own lives. I don't know if you guys have ever been there but sometimes you walk and you make a little sense. And not again, you know some people say well it was all fabrication that Saul was just, you know, it was all It was all just an act. I don't know for sure. I think Saul, like many of us here today, was just struggling with his flesh. And it was just getting the best of him. And every once in a while, he would get a glimpse of God's love. And he would get a little taste of God's power. Every once in a while, acknowledging, David, you will be king acknowledging all these things just don't wipe out my descendants you're you know have you ever said that to someone you're a better person than i am and i, I know i have i've i've sometimes i say that you're you're a better person than i am i know you are and it sets you free i don't have to be the best person in the world cuz i know i'm not but it's like saul right here was just struggling he's a picture of a carnal christian in the end he dies but man, you see the way it all went down, and it just breaks your heart. Here we see he's, he's just communicating to him. He lifts his voice. He cries. And the evidence was clear. David did not want to kill him. Saul knows. It's right there in his face. And he says, this truly is the future king. You know, sometimes I wonder, you know, David, I don't know if he knew this or not, but he cut off a little bit of his robe, a little piece of his robe. And you're like, well, that's just a random thing. Well, yeah, but remember earlier when Samuel was there and he pronounced the, the fact that, you know, one day there'd be a different king. Saul, you're on your way down. And remember when Samuel was walking away, it says that Saul gra- gra- reached for him and he tore off the edge of his robe. And remember what, what Samuel said? He says, you know what, just like you tore... The, 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 the portion of my robe. One day, the kingdom will be torn from you. There's a piece of the robe in his hand. And here he is, and he sees David with a piece of the robe in his hand. And it's all beginning to come together. And he's saying, you know what? This is the Lord. And, and, and yet, what we find is that it doesn't take long. We're just going to go through another chapter. And there he is, chasing David again. And there you are, returning to your vomit, And there you are doing that crazy thing that God clearly showed you not to do. And you say you're not going to do it, but that's just words. You got to go do it. You know, it's interesting the way this ends right here. You know, uh, Saul goes back to the palace, and David goes back to the wilderness in in the stronghold right there. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, I just said, that's not right. That's not the way that should have ended. If Saul was real, he would have done some practical things and some radical things. And he would have brought David back to the palace. But in the deepest part of his heart, he was not real. You see, we got to live it, you guys. We got to live it. We have to be real. I don't know what it is that's going on in your life. I don't know what the challenges are. I know, you know, we all have those challenges. But I, I really pray that uh, whatever it is the Lord wants to work on and do, that it would be very, very, very practical. You know, going to church doesn't save you. If you even if you like to study, even though that doesn't... Happen too often here, but if, you know, you're like, you know, it doesn't matter. Oh, I like to study. Deceive yourself if you think that hearing is enough. we got to go live it. I pray that God would help us. Uh, I, I, I want my country to change. I want this community, Almonte, to change, the surrounding areas to change. But I know we need great leaders. I know we need people with a heart for Jesus Christ, a heart of love, a heart like David. And so let's learn, you guys. Um, God is here to forgive us. God is here to give us a new start. And I pray that, uh, that we all would just get real with the Lord. If you don't know the Lord today, then, man, right here, right now, I would pray that you would give your life to Jesus Christ. You don't want to die and go to hell. Jesus died so that you can go to heaven. And so right here, right now, you repent of your sins and you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we partake of communion, Lord, I pray that you would just bless this time, Lord. I know it takes more time. I, I know in even in my own life it does. It takes more time than just a couple of minutes to get real with you, but Lord, I pray that you would touch us, that you would teach us, that you would save lives here today, that you would really communicate to us. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel, El Monte at air code 626 454 3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.